Welcome to the School of Risk podcast, where we have insightful, valuable, and sometimes intense conversations on the various dynamics of risk in life and business. My guest on the show today is Estella Malek. I'm going to let her do her own introduction and get to find out this phenomenal woman who is doing some really amazing things in her life and also changing the lives of other people as well. Now, without further ado and without wasting more time, you know what time it is. Let's go to school. Estella Malek, welcome to the School of Risk podcast. It's so amazing to have you here. I can't wait to get into this conversation. First thing I would like you to do, please, is let our listeners know who you are and what you do. I will build the conversation so they can enjoy this insightful and valuable you know, information you're going to share with us today. Over to you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, so my name is Estella Malik, and I'm South Sudanese. And um, I'm a journalist by profession. Uh, though I'm not active right now, I'm not actively uh, uh, working as a journalist, and I'm 30 years of age. Uh, so I had my um, my education. I I studied in Malaysia and in China, and I have practiced in the media in China and locally, and then came back home, and now I'm an entrepreneur. That is amazing. Do you know you're the first person on this show who has said their age? Well, I don't know how it came this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind it, seriously. And also, is, is this saying, you know, a lot of women are very shy about saying how old they are. Well, you just went straight into it. And well, I've always <laughs> thought whether I lie or not, it doesn't change. It doesn't make a difference. It doesn't make so, a difference. Yeah, it doesn't make a difference. And I'm proud to be 30. Not a lot of people get to my age. Absolutely, absolutely. And as they say, age is nothing but a number. Exactly. Well, that's how people console themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm 49, so hey, that's me. I, I was talking to some guy yesterday, and I told him how old I was, and he was like, Whoa, you look like you're 20. I'm like, stop saying that now. Listen, look at the beard, man. Look at the beard. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of people who are still who are still uh, in their early adulthood and they have white beards. I don't know. This is just something about the beards. I mean, it's changed in the 20s and they're great, they're great already. Yeah, no, like, okay, early 30s, I think. Yeah. But then there's this something, they'll have, like, patches of white on their beards. Yes, so it still doesn't say okay, much. I'll, I'll change my age then. I'm, I'm 31. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's amazing. Um, so journalism and um, you you spent some time in China, Malaysia, and now you're now back in South Sudan. Yeah. Why the transition? Well, first of all, this is home. So for me, it's not a transition. It's like coming back to where I belong. Yeah. Yeah, because, um, I mean, there's there's so many luxuries and benefits that come with being abroad, but it's just not the same as being home. So um, I had to come back one way or the other. I was there for an education, and I finished it, and I had to come back home and implement it here. 
That's amazing. Now, talk talk us through your experience as a journalist. What work did you do? You know, did you work as a journalist while in Malaysia, China? Yeah. Or you did that in South Sudan? Let our listeners know, because obviously you made that transition to, you know, from journalism to entrepreneurship. Yes, exactly. So yeah. let's build on that. Okay, so um, I first worked in South Sudan. Uh, that's before the 2013 conflict. Right. And when the conflict started, um, I decided to go back. And, and then I knew that I was passionate about journalism, and I decided to go back and do it. And so I went to do my bachelor's degree in Malaysia. Okay. Um, after which I came back here, did a bit of work, and then went back for my master's. And while I was doing my master's, I was working um, for Star Times at the headquarters in Beijing. Okay. I was, yes. So I was um, in charge of an uh, entertainment show called the E-Series that is aired on in Africa and also in China, but at a controlled uh, space. And then when I came back here, um, I tried the media a little bit, but then I realized that I was not going to work well in it because, um, because of the control. And I feel like I don't work well within a box. I have to work out of the box. So that's why I stopped working in the media and then decided to be an entrepreneur. Amazing. So between China and South Sudan, was it more controlled when you were, while you were working within the media? Is it more controlled in South Sudan or is it more controlled in China? I think they have. They both have their levels of control, but you cannot compare the controls because uh, they're two different countries, two different infrastructures, two different economies. So um, the control there might be the same as the control here, but it's very difficult to compare them. Yeah. Um, South Sudan is a new country. Uh, it's just a couple of years old, and China has existed for a while. China has a very big scope of uh, population, and so the control. Actually, I think the control in China is much more complex compared to South Sudan, because China um, has specific uh, channels and media that is supposed to be accessed by the locals in China itself. Uh, which is contrary to South Sudan. In South Sudan, you can access all the international media houses here, and we have the luxury to understand whatever is going on outside. Uh, China only has the international media houses, uh, media channels available in hotels. That is five-star hotels, because they know that the kind of people that are going to come to five-star hotels have been exposed more. To that kind of media, yes. Yes, so they all have their level of controls but uh, they cannot be completely compared. Now, while you were doing that, I mean, what, what was it like with, um, especially when you came back to South Sudan, what was it like, you know, being a woman in journalism, you know, and trying to, obviously, knowing the kind of person you are from the little you've said, um, you're not someone who likes to walk within the confines of uh, the box, the narrative that, you know, you know, the media or the society wants you to, you know, um, stay within, you know, and I, I find that to be the same as well, because, you know, I don't like to, I like to be me to, to do what I want to do and not be confined, because when you see something isn't right, you want to speak about it, you know, and being a woman in journalism, I'm sure you would have probably seen a number of things that you felt you could do something about or you could say something about. Um, what, what's your experience, you know, in, in that regard? 
Okay, first, I'm going to ask you, what do you know about South Sudan? Before we jump into that. I'll be honest, I don't know much apart from the conflict, and I know the fact that it's um, it's it used to be part of the bigger Sudan, and then there's this bit in South that, you know, broke away. That's my ignorant, you know, understanding of what, of South Sudan. And uh, besides that, I had a guest on um the, on my podcast a few months ago, and um she did some work in South Sudan. So um, a lot of what she did in terms of um supporting people in conflict and sending resources to them through her logistics work, you know, mm-hmm. was um you know based in South Sudan. So that's the little I know. So you can give us a bit more insights and let us know. Yeah. And the reason I'm asking that, I feel like it's one of the questions that I need to ask everybody that tries to interview me uh, about my entrepreneurial journey, because I feel like the reason that people are that interested in interviewing a South Sudanese woman in business is because of South Sudan itself, because of the narrative that they have about South Sudan. And and I know why this is, uh, I also don't blame a lot of them. But I feel like everybody needs to do some work to find out yes. more of uh, South Sudan. I'm actually a bit disappointed that you do not know much about it. Um, <laughs> I take that but, on board. I take that on yes. board. You know, and I wish I did my research on South Sudan a bit more. But um, please help us correct that false narrative that's um, being put out there. And um, as an insider, we'll get to know more. And I promise you, I'm coming to South Sudan. You better. You better. I so, will. Um, uh, for the reason uh, I'm saying that is I'm going to give what I feel like is a professional, from my professional point of view as a journalist. Um, you cannot totally depend on what the media says about South Sudan because the media can be very sensational. And I, what I mean by this is if you had put uh, the title of my podcast as um, interviewing a South Sudanese woman on her entrepreneurial journey, uh, a lot of people would not be so interested. It's like, what's so special about it? Yeah. But when you add the touch of interviewing a South, uh, interviewing a seller who left Malaysia to come back to mm-hmm. South Sudan, now suddenly everybody is very interested because the media has portrayed South Sudan as uh, just a conflict region, a difficult space to be in, and and um, it's very sad that I know I did um, a study on the media representation representation of women in conflict regions, and and of course my case study was South Sudan, and it was very shocking to see that when you type in South Sudan on Google Space or any other platform. All you see is a hungry child or a soldier or or women or rape case or something. So it's all just a negative narrative that has been put out there. Mm-hmm. And I know I was once like the people that take that narrative because uh, I remember before I moved back to South Sudan, anytime somebody mentioned South Sudan, all I thought of is I thought I would just sit and see you know, a car explode from a bomb or something, or somebody just get shot right in front of me, which is which is contrary contrary to what is on the ground. Um, now back to your question. Which before, is, before you jump back into the question, uh, what was it that helped you change that narrative about what you saw about South Sudan that got you to say, you know what, I don't care what I'm hearing in the media, I'm going to go to South Sudan, I'm going to go back and do what I want to do. 
Well, in my case, um, unfortunately, it's not what I saw while I was out or what I heard. It was me coming back here. And also, I think there's a contribution of uh, the fact that when you're just away from home, there's a different feeling that of uh, there's a different experience that we have. I know you will, you might have experienced this while while in 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 the UK. There's you don't feel home. You will always be the other. Yeah, you will always be yeah. the alien in the place that you're at. Absolutely. And, and 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 it feels like you lose your identity. So. For me, it's like uh, when I came back home, there's just that feeling of being at home, you know, where nobody's pointing at you that, oh, look at that person. Look at how she walks. Of course, there's always the usual gossips of, of yeah. who the hell does she think she is. But there's this feel, that feeling of being home. And, and I know that I get that whenever I came from abroad and I was in any African country. There was this beautiful feeling that, that I had in me whenever I landed in any African country. It doesn't compare. And so when I came to South Sudan, and, and I came with a lot of fear, but uh, when I was here, of course, there's, there's the conflict, there's fighting here and there, uh, and which we, we can, you can't blame it because it's, it's a country that has been in, in war for over, day, for over yeah. two decades. Yeah. So uh, you can't expect it to drastically just, just move from conflict to total peace. And so there was that. But then I noticed that there was a lot, there was other good things about the country. There's, there's great people. There's such great hospitality in South Sudan. Yes. And, and I know, I haven't seen that anywhere else in the world. I know that I've been to places that have um, the culture of being grateful for, for whatever experiences. But South Sudanese are very hospitable people. And you will experience that when you come. I, and I if anyone else, that. anyone else that has been in South Sudan will, will tell you that. Uh, that is not to say that we also have the other side. There's the other side. We, we have been used to doing things, um, to dealing, uh, to, to deal, using conflict, I mean, violence as a way of solving things because we were marginalized yeah. for, for decades in, in our own country. And so uh, there's still the culture where people feel like I have to use force to get this or or feeling like, like uh, you know, a foreigner is taking what I deserve, but it's, it's not as much as the hospitality. And so I came back home and I loved it and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, anywhere else in the world. I can go for visits, but I wouldn't want to settle mm -hmm. anywhere else in the yeah. world. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing. So, That's amazing. And you know, what, what you've said there really is the reason why a lot of people, a lot of Africans who are in the diaspora, you know, don't want to go back. And it's also the reason why some have taken the leap and gone back, you know, and, you know, not listening to what is being put out there because it's not just the media, it's also social media as well. A lot of mm -hmm. what comes from social media, that I, I mean, I, I don't um, use social media for personal things, you know, I just use it purely for business. But some of what I've seen or what has been shared with me have been negative in information. And this thing somehow has a way of desensitizing you, you know, towards your own home. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, although, yes, I'm here in the UK, but I'll tell you, this is not home to me. I don't feel at home here. It's just a place which it's is amazing. Not the same it's never be. Yeah, it's definitely not the same feeling. Not the same. Yeah. yeah, and um, 
you know, I'm grateful for all the experiences I'm gathering because it's put me in a in, in a you know in a geographic position where I can pretty much see things, you know, from a global perspective, you know, and um, you know, I, I feel that um, yes, home will always be home no matter what. Yes, yes, yes. and we just have to. There's negative, there's good and bad everywhere. You know, it's not yeah. like there's no bad things. UK is not a paradise. Yeah. You know, it's not paradise. You know, it's got its bad things as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so back, jumping back yes, to your please. question, yes, um, as a woman in the media space here, yes. Yes. Uh, how challenging is it or what is it that made me get out of the media space? First, I'm going to say I'm going to answer that woman, not just as a woman. I'm going to answer it as a media practitioner, mm -hmm. because when you put me as a woman, I could say a lot more. No, no, no. The reason why I asked that, I, and I get that. The reason why I said as a woman, because I know the inequality, you know, I know that, you know, I'm very well aware because it happens... I spend a lot of time in banking and finance, and the same things happen here, you know. And um, the reason why I say women because you know the w women are usually 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 suppressed, you know. So that's why I was asking from that perspective, and I get yes. the you know equality part of things, and you know as a practitioner of media. Well, yeah, you know. I see where you're coming from, and and I will answer the question of inequality on a different uh, perspective, uh, because I mean it's something I'm also very passionate about. Fantastic, but, great. Yes, as a media practitioner, I feel like um, the the way that the South Sudan media space is in right now is is not for me, right? Because uh, it's still controlled for a good reason. Because uh, we have to be able to take um, to change our mindsets to a certain level before we can freely practice media the way it is practiced elsewhere. There is still control el everywhere else in the world, mm -hmm. but um, it is to a certain level. I mean, there's a progress to a certain level compared to where we are now. Yeah. Uh, in regards to the inequality, one of the reasons that my company is the way it is, my business, which we will jump in, yes. uh, is, is it's me addressing inequality because uh, there's a lot of patriarchal systems in the world and South Sudan is not uh, any different. Uh, where a woman may have to work twice as hard to get to the space of a male. Yes. Um, but... I think it's it's just about the way we face it. Mm -hmm. Yes, we acknowledge that it's there in South Sudan like it is anywhere else in the world. But how you approach it is what matters. I feel like you cannot come aggressively. You cannot aggressively try to approach it because you have to understand that Absolutely. there has been a norm on how things are done. So when you come with, with changes aggressively, you cannot accomplish what you want to accomplish. So we start slowly. Slowly for me is, you know, employing women, giving her a little bit of empowering her with just a little bit of finances that she can use to help herself, help her child, or, you know, help her family at large. Because I know for sure whenever a woman makes money, it goes back home most yeah. of the times. Mm -hmm. You know, even if I'm married and, and, and I have an income coming in, it's most of the times I'll still be able to help my family. Back home, I'll help my my own family. And so it's 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 important. It's important to have women empowered. Absolutely. And I 100 percent you know agree with you on that. And uh, I'm gonna say this a lot of my successes and um the things that women have been influential to a lot of my successes, you know, what I'm doing. And I you know, would not 
I would not see things clearly and I would not probably have achieved some of the things I've achieved if not for some of the women who have been influential in my life and many things that I do. So I'm, you know, really an advocate that um, there should be that equality, you know, and it doesn't matter. It's not about being male or female. It's about who can do the work, you know, and give you what yes. you, what, what you, give you the outcome you desire, you know, mm -hmm. male, female, you know, and also, you know, what I don't like, which I've seen a lot of is um, where certain organizations are, now, I don't know if I'm going to be, <laughs> if I'm going to be uh, shot because of what I'm going to say now, but a lot of organizations are, you know, putting women in positions of, you know, authority just to fulfill that, you know, they are doing, they are putting their, 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 their um, that equality is uh, at the top of their agenda. But then mm -hmm. when they're in, when the women are in that position, they're not being allowed to fulfill that responsibility, you know. No. Yeah, Which I I really, you've, 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 you've experienced that, or have you? I have experienced that, yeah. Which is um, ridiculous, you know, so there has to be that balance. Yeah, but all these things, is, it takes time. It takes time to, you know, to, to see the change happen. It's just that we have to take baby steps. Yeah. Towards approaching it, because if you come aggressively, you you crash. You crash, yeah. You crash. Yeah. So we're we're seeing how to go about that. Uh, absolutely. Now, from journalism to entrepreneurship, tell us about that. And yes, you go ahead. Tell us about why did you choose to leave that your whole space of journalism? You were, you know, obviously getting a steady salary coming in, but now you've got into, you know, what I call. Um, a leveler because I think entrepreneurship is a leveler. <laughs> you got to start from scratch. Yeah, yeah. Now, how have you done that? Okay, so for me first, um, it wasn't like a decision to just switch to entrepreneurship. I didn't just sit one day and say, you know what, I'm going to be a businesswoman in organic skincare. Um, when I was studying abroad, I was using, I mean, I used to use like the regular body lotions. Yeah. And I noticed that sometimes I get ashy. I get ashy too fast and then I have to like keep retouching once in a while. And and I realized that I wanted to use something that works for me, you know. And so I started getting shea butter from Uganda. I wasn't passionate about it, but I was just getting it because it worked. Like I bought this tin one time and it worked and, and I was like, perfect. So I started taking it in bulk for myself. Uh, and while I was in the process of using, I had this Nigerian friend and we used to like, you know, with Instagram and we found this lady, the Ghanaian lady, she's called Hamamad, uh, who does she butter in Ghana, yeah. and she said uh, that she learned something from her grandmother. You see, my, my, my beard, my skin, it's all shea butter, you know? <laughs> yeah, I can see the glow. I, I see the glow through you. You see the glow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so she said that her grandmother said um, she cannot use anything on her skin that she cannot eat. And I remember we used to make fun about it. Like whenever we'd eat something, we would try like woods is like, I cannot eat the, I cannot put it on my mouth. I cannot put it on my skin. But then when we sat down, it actually resonated because we're so careful about what we eat. Absolutely. Like if something so much as looks disgusting, but somebody says it's sweet, you hesitate to eat it. That's but you go to the counter and just pick anything. 
you know, just pick whatever, whatever is available and use it on your skin. We don't know what the ingredients are. We don't know whatever, but uh, we don't care so much. So I thought, why are we so concerned about what we're eating and not what we put on our skin? And yet it's the same, I mean, it's the same body. Yes. What, what affects me outside on my skin affects me internally, health-wise. Absolutely on the inside, yes. Yes. So I, I just started using it. And, and um, I remember when I came back home, I asked my grandfather what it was because I was tired of, of constantly buying from Uganda mm-hmm. and it said it was natural. So um, I just asked him, I said, can you smell this and tell me what it is? And he told me it's Mograk. Um, when he said it's Mograk, I know what Mograk is shea butter in, is shea oil in Dinka. The, the actual oil itself. Yes. It's shea oil in Dinka. Of course, it still solidifies in cool temperatures, mm-hmm. but that's what it is and it's called lulu lulu is it lulu in arabic and so um he said this is mograk and i refuted it because i know that uh, the one that they have here i mean the one that is prepared locally is prepared mainly for food but also women in the villages use it for their hair they use it to uh to bath newborn babies Oh, and to strengthen their bones with like very hot water and then they use the shea oil rub it all over the baby and back them with it uh this is supposedly to strengthen the baby's uh bones Amazing. and you know with the health benefits that come with shea butter and so when he told That's me right. that it was how is he eating as well how is he used to cook as well uh, it's, it's it can be used as a cooking oil yes but you know we have this uh we have this uh, South Sudan meal that is called combo. It's made of greens and it's prepared of greens and uh, peanut butter. Yes. And then either with meat or with uh, dry fish. And so once the meal has been prepared, yeah, I'm licking my lips already. I can, I can see that you're pretty. So once the meal is prepared, usually they'll just like put it on top, like the way you'd put mayonnaise or cheese, and then just eat it with it. Wow. So, um, I knew about that, so I asked him. I actually asked them to bring me a sample. When I come to South Sudan, please, I'm going to try that. It was. It's going to be the first thing that you try. Please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So when I I asked him to to get me a sample of the shea butter, and they brought it. It was in solid state at the time, but I could still smell the like I could still smell it, mm-hmm. and I knew it was an unpleasant, a very unpleasant scent, uh, smell. So um, I tried to infuse it, but it was almost impossible to get rid of the smell. So I asked him to bring me the raw nuts mm-hmm. themselves. And he brought me, uh, they brought me a kg. And, you know, like I researched and had to do it. Remember, I've been using it for years. So one way or the other, I, I was seeing the process. And so I researched on how to actually do it from scratch. And I had this one, one lady uh, try to do it for me. And it came out and it was like half of a Coca-Cola bottle, like half of 500 liters. So it was basically 250 liters. And it was clear oil. It was beautiful. I was so excited about it. And so when that happened, I asked them to bring me a whole bag, you know, like 50 kgs of of the nuts. And they brought them. I remember the excitement that I had when, when I just brought them and I was putting them out to dry. Then I had it prepared and I started, so I was using it myself, started gifting it to my friends. Uh, whenever there's something that was going on, I'll just give it as gifts because I didn't think about it as, as a commercial thing. Yeah. I was just, you know, fulfilling the need. And then people liked it. My friends were like, oh, this is really good. And then the fact that it wasn't smelling like the sheer butter that they know, mm-hmm. it was very exciting for them. So... 
that's when I decided I'm going to commercialize it. And I remember in 2019, October, on the 26th, we officially put the product out. Uh, and yeah, so we started with one woman. And then we went on to hire, uh, right now we have about 12 women here. Okay. We have about 21 uh, collection centers in the Lake States, which is where we get our name, Aramwear. Aramwear. Yeah, I asked that, you about that, that, that one, you word. one word, yes. Aram. Aram means a meeting point, and then where means the lakes. The lakes, wow. So meeting point yeah. of where? But, but it's one word, Aram where. Hmm. So in South Sudan, we have a region called the Lake States. You wouldn't know that since you didn't study what no, South Sudan. No. <laughs> You're yes, holding that. <laughs> exactly. I'm holding you accountable to that. Yeah, so you need to, to see. I'm sorry, so, I'm sorry, I will. <laughs> so the reason, one of the reasons that I came up with that name was to help people like you understand where the product is from. Amazing. Because initially, I wanted to I wanted to name it Goddess. I had Goddess in mind. Yeah. Uh, because I was thinking of the female perspective of it. Uh, one, I'm a woman that owns the company, yeah. and there's on its women that do majority of the work. And so um, I have this tagline: "By her, for him, and her." Mm -hmm. That's the tagline that I want uh, for the company. So I wanted people to think when you see a runway, it, it captures your mind. You think, "What what does a runway mean?" Yeah. And and then you, of course, you'll be curious, and then you get a translation, and it brings your attention to South Sudan. Yeah. That was me thinking as a media perspective. The reason for that is because I told you before that uh, I did the research on um, the representation of women in conflict regions, and I noticed that there was nothing good about South Sudan on there. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was important that we have, you know, like something, even if it's little, one step at a time, but there's some sort of good perspective, like positive uh, representation of South Sudan. So our branding, I'm, sh I'm sure you've checked on the page, our branding has our flag on, Yes. And it's somewhere. Yeah. So when you see it, you think of South Sudan, and this is yeah. something great from South Sudan, which is not what you see on 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 Google or, yeah, or on India, social yeah. media. Yeah. So that's a runway in a nutshell. Amazing. That's, yeah. a, that's a beautiful story there, and I love how you fuse everything together. Your experience in media, your experience in developing the shea butter. <laughs> You know, and also what you do to empower women as well, you know, which I feel is quite amazing and um, to have more women there. And, you know, how, how do you go about, I mean, how do you go about finding, you know, those who fit your your, your brand or people that work for okay. you? So, so um, if you know, in, in South Sudan and in Africa, uh, most times women are basically just supposed to be housewives. Mm -hmm. Besides the rest of us that have had great opportunities of, of you know being educated and we put ourselves in the market out there, um, so it's the same thing in South Sudan. And I know that okay, the biggest source of employment in South Sudan until today has been uh, the military. We have a lot I of soldiers. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Wow. Well, we have a lot of soldiers, and this is simply because um, you know we have been not men and women, or just. No, no men, mainly men. men. We have been in conflict for a very long time, and they they had to defend the country one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So, if the big population is soldiers, there's a big population of women that are housewives. 
Yeah, especially in the area that I live in, um, the area that I live in has a lot of soldiers and there's a lot of, you know, women that are housewives and um, I didn't want them to basically just depend on uh, their husband's salaries. Yeah. Um, I sort of wanted to give back in a way because I have been privileged. I went to school. I'm able to work for myself and while fulfilling a need, if I can also help somebody along the way, why not? Yeah. And so my criteria for hiring now is, is basically wives of soldiers. Um, now I have about a couple of, you know, teenage moms, but that's not a specific criteria for me. I have maybe about two, three uh, teenage moms, yeah. but mainly it's um, the wives of soldiers that are around my area. And uh, in the villages, I don't have a big criteria, a specific criteria for hiring my employees. Uh, but I know that we have a big uh, group of older women uh, because older women now, they don't do farming. They yeah. don't uh, do house chores. So usually they'll just sit there and the collection of nuts, is, is, it's not like a tedious process for them. Uh, so they do the collection of the nuts. They do the shelling. And we have we have about 32 women and about 12 men uh, who do the logistics part. And yes. Yeah. So, so I, I thought, let me just do something small to help them and honestly i can see the i can see the change i can see the change and and, and you can even see in the attitudes of these women uh they're able to at the end of the month they're able to take back something uh when we have occasions like like women's day which is coming up mm-hmm. or or uh easter or christmas we try to buy them we try to give them packages of like food stuff to take back to their houses and then we have a big a big um we have different goals in place. I have a bigger vision that uh, if if all goes well, I'm able to also help with the schools, the schools for their kids. Amazing. So let's let's see let's see how our growth goes. I, I I can you know you are you are what I call an active risk taker, and the, the, I think, I think, I think businesses like that. Yes. There, there are two sides. They're, they're, they're the active and the passive ones. You know, we call the passive risk takers those who are risk averse and, you know, yeah, take time before they make any decision. But you're just out there, you know, going, going and doing it. What drives you? What is it? What is that thing that drives you to just go out there and do what you want to do and not stay within the confines of the box that has been defined by the society we live in? Okay, first, um... I would like to, I, I'm going to talk about the risk aspect uh, part. There's, there's something about business. Business is a risk it everywhere. Is. Absolutely. But, and, and, and so when you have to dive in, I usually tell people who ask me, how did you get to do this? Should I do this? I usually tell people, well, it's a risk, but you have to start. But when you start, start small. Don't start big. Uh, because the reason I say start small is start small and see is this business business feasible. If it is, then you can carry on to grow. Because uh, when you start small, the losses are not that drastic as they would be if you started, you know, large. Yes. Yes. And and for me, what mainly governs me is that um, I'm passionate about this. So I'm passionate about about organic skincare and and. and Organic lifestyle generally, uh, which takes time. It also takes time. In my case, I know the organic lifestyle takes time. The world is slowly switching to an organic lifestyle, which is, you know, eating all this healthy stuff, making sure that we we, we get into routines such as uh, exercises that help us keep fit and healthy. Um, And and 
it's a process. It's not like a switch overnight. Mm-hmm. It takes time. Yeah, like no. like I, I use shea butter on my skin, on my hair, but occasionally I wear wigs. Mm-hmm. I still have to use things like deodorant and 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 perfumes, which are not organic. Yeah. But slowly with time, probably I'll using an organic perfume or organic deodorant. You well, you can use. I mean, I use. I use. See, I switched away from the um commercial perfumes. Okay, I, I use more oud now. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Yeah, same I here. use more of the oud. You know, because they're not as um the more the the purer oils as well. You know, yeah. so I don't care about the name brands and all that stuff. I just like to use things that are you know a lot more authentic, a lot more um natural for my body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I love the fact that this is what you are promoting as part of your brand, this organic lifestyle. And I'm on that journey with you. So whatever you're doing, please share with me. I will support, I will support, I will promote, whatever. I should basically I should become an influencer for organic an organic lifestyle. Yeah, you should. I, I mean that's what you are. That's who you are. You are <laughs> that's what yeah, you're so, doing. So um for me, one, I'm passionate about it, and mm-hmm. I also want to empower myself. I do not like to be dependent. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons that we are blessed with an education is so that you're able to empower yourself and empower others. So I want to empower myself because I want to see myself grow. Um, I want to be able to achieve um, a lot of things that, 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 you know, you know, a lot of women don't have the opportunity to achieve. Question. Hold that thought. A question. <laughs> so empowering okay. yourself. Now, this is on the personal side. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. and forgive me if I say as a woman, but uh-huh. I, yeah. So Go ahead. empowering yourself. As a woman, do you find that sometimes that you could be perceived or you could, or men are intimidated by you? It's a question that asked, you know, that's um, said by a lot of women. A lot of women say that because of their successes, they find that it, it intimidates men. Is mm-hmm. that your experience as well? Well, well, I, I, I think it's a bit of both. Empowering myself as a woman. Okay, first I'm doing it for myself because Absolutely. I don't want to be dependent. Yes, yes. Yes, I don't want to be dependent on, on, on anyone. And and I always like to tell people that if any man is intimidated by my, you know, by my success, then that man is not for me. Absolutely. Because, because uh, my empowerment, it does not, like, let's not get this wrong. My empowerment doesn't mean that I want to completely ignore the cultural aspects. For me, I choose to take... To, to make to put a balance, combine cultural and modern together. That means I still can do house chores, but I still can go to the office as well. That doesn't mean that I choose to stay at home or completely be, you know, like uh, just a working woman and not uh, doing any house chores or any other thing that I'm supposed to do. I love um, that. So, so I feel like any man that would be intimidated by my success is, is not for me because I... The intention is not to intimidate you, and I don't try to intimidate them. They're just intimidated by me, so that's that's a different thing. It's, it's, it's their choice, and I think you know. It's their choice. It's their it's choice, their and choice. A, a man, I feel like a real man should appreciate a successful, independent woman who can bring value to the table that both of them can use to chart the course of their journey forward. So yes, it's like. It's like a it's like a captain and a co-captain or a pilot and a co-pilot. Yes, I feel I feel like 
I feel like in, in the day and age that we're in today, any man should be happy to have a woman that is independent and that Absolutely. is doing something for themselves. Absolutely. Because times have changed. The times are not like our father's times where um, we had, you know, we, we could farm. We didn't need uh, hospitals. We could just go to the garden and get a hub to take care of an issue. Yeah. But now almost everything requires money. So, so it's it's it, there's a need for for partners to come together, to join hands, to build together, and help each other solve problems. But if if the household is going to have one uh, one income, one person bringing in the income, and the other person is just at home, it's it's going to be a bit difficult. It's going to yeah. be really hard. So I feel like if any any man in his right mind would be happy to have a woman that is independent and has things going on with herself absolutely 100 percent, i agree with you and that is the way it should be so there shouldn't be room because for at the end of the day it also reflects on the kind of you know uh like in a marriage it reflects on the kind of children that you're going to bring up yes as well because you have to be able to educate you know your children through your own actions and through the things which when the children see i have two daughters when, it, when the children see what you're doing, you know, they learn from that as well. And in, in the event, okay, a simple, if in the event that um, I said stay home or something, um, it also determines the kind of simple things like the kind of house help that I will employ. Because the kind of house help that I employ should be somebody that can help to um to educate the children in the way that I would want them to be educated. Yes. But if I do not, if I'm not independent, don't think independently. There's the kind of household I employ says a lot about, you know, the kind of ethics that they input on the children. It's interesting. So there's a lot of things to think about in that. <laughs> it's interesting you touch on the household because most um, from a Nigerian perspective, most people who have house helps in Nigeria never think about what you just said about the caliber of house help you get. You know, and most of the, the caliber of house, I'm not, and I'm not saying they shouldn't employ people to help them out of a situation or things like that. But the caliber of house help most people get, you know, is very, you know, they don't, all they do is just the chores. They are probably not even educated to the point of being able to impart some kind of knowledge or wisdom into children. So I like that mm -hmm. you mentioned that as well, because I think that's important. Because when you surround yeah, yourself with people... In that field, things like courtesy, like like when a child picks up a cup, uh, good job, or thank you, or well done, or if they hand them something, thank you. It's just courtesy, courtesy yeah. that passes on between them. Yeah, that, that, yeah. yeah that's the simple example I could think of. Absolutely, absolutely. So what's the future? What's the future for you? What's the big thing, the big challenge, the big risk you are taking? Or you, I know you have it already. I know you have, you know, uh, because from the way you speak, I know that you have, your, you know, you have things planned now. So is this something you share on this platform? What is it that you are and now, I think a lot of people would love to learn from people like yourselves who have taken that big leap. Because I find that most people are in that thought process, but don't have the confidence to take the leap, to take the action, to start implementing, you know, um, their the journeys in direction of where they want to really go. 
and they end up staying in a job for uh, as long as possible and it becomes too late. You haven't left it till too late. You, uh, you know, in your 30s and you're doing what you're doing and I think that's amazing. So many people want to do that and I've, I have a few friends who are, you know, who are in that space as well. And I've been thinking I need to do something different, but they don't have the confidence to go and do it. Now, uh, in my perspective, I think that it is very important to have an employment first. Because for one, it teaches you the discipline. Yes. The discipline that I have to be in office at 8.30 and I have to leave the office at 5.30. Mm-hmm. And, and also the skills that come with working for a person. You know, you learn a lot of things from working with different people. Yes. Uh, skills that you would not ordinarily learn by yourself. Um, like if you're in an office and you don't know how to do Microsoft, somebody else knows how to do it, they can teach you how to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're required to do roles that are outside of your job uh, description. Yeah. Uh, let's say the HR is not in today and you're asked to step in for the HR. Um, you sort of learn different skills. So it teaches you discipline and it teaches you different skills. It, it also helps you to get your own capital before you yeah. can venture into getting your own, um, into, into a business. Unless you have, you know, a trust or, or some money that you, <laughs> you land on, then that's a different uh, thing. Uh, I think that's but a let do money. For me, I felt like it's important. Like, I still work for somebody mm. because it's the same. Like, I finance my business by myself. Yeah. And, and at the point that I'm at, I know that if I was to leave my job today, I know that I can pursue, pursue my business and, and it would still flourish. Yes. But not to the level that it can flourish when I have the capacity to continue to invest mm. in it. Yeah. yeah. So, so I would advise anyone and... um. To start, we discussed this in in the earlier phase. To start, just start small. Whatever it is, don't say, I have to wait to get $100. If you have $50, start with the $50. And then, you know, you can carry on after seeing that this this actually works. Uh, Because I know a lot of of the young people are still still stuck in in the collar jobs space. Like, I remember when I I started doing the share button, Thing when it was a full-time thing, everybody was like, what the hell is she thinking? Yeah. How does a person with a master's degree decide to come back, sit home, and do mugrak? You know, like, it's a, it, it just sounds so wrong. Like, how is yeah. it possible to do such basic things? Because I would expect that these basic things are done by an educated person. But now that people see that this is that it's picking up, it's an actual business, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like a shocker for them. So just, just go out of your... You know, like go out of your comfort zone and do something for yourself. Start small and, and persevere, because um, business doesn't doesn't uh, bear fruits overnight. No. Like I would, I would say, I, I am still proud to say that I have not seen profits ever since I started doing the share button, because um, whatever I get, we put it back in the business because I want it to grow. You know what? But I see the potential. Please, you know, seriously. This is such an important, you know, point because a lot of people sometimes have this false notion that once they start business, they put money into it, they're going to get money out of it, you know, straight away, you know. And I, I love that you just talked about that because that has been my experience. And when I talk to people about business, the fear they have is not getting their money out quickly, you know. And I always yeah. say, listen. You have to give the business at least three to five years for you to start getting any kind of you know real growth because you're going to have to keep 
reinvesting yeah, that money. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like it's like building it's like building a house without a foundation. You got to put that foundation in, and that's you investing into that business with your income. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So, so I, I, I know that. I know that for a fact. But then that doesn't mean get into a business, see that it's not working, and stay there for two, three years. No, of course not. Uh, for me, I see that. I, I see the potential that the business have. I see uh, that the business has, and I also see that the share butter market globally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the women's gold, as they call it in West Africa. I know the potential. The women's gold. Yeah, they call it the women's gold in West Africa because um, this is the biggest source of, I think it's the biggest export from Ghana. Ghana. Yes, and yes, yes, yes. And it's, it's mainly done by women. And so I see, I know the potential that it has and, and, and I'm patient. I'm going to be patient and I persevere with it. So when you start a business and you see that it works, persevere. Just because you have not seen the profits in the first two, three years doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. And you also have to dedicate a lot of time to it because um, and now I can sit comfortably in my office and I know that work is going on in the factory. Mm-hmm. But every day I have to make time to pass by the factory because oh, there's anyway, a quality. Are you, in your, are you in the office now? Because yeah, I'm in the office right all now. That sound, was that coming from the factory behind you? No, no, no. It's coming from uh, there's some work going on outside. Okay. <laughs> yes. But so every day I have to take time because this is my business. Nobody will do your thing the way you want it done. If you want something done, you have to do it yourself. And so I know that um, if I'm completely absent from it, the quality is going to deter. There's people who are not going to be working the way they should. Um, but that is now. When it started, I had to be there myself. I had to tell the women, no, this is how it's done. This is how it should be done. This is not what should be done. Uh, until I realized that they have they have understood the techniques that I want, and then I can a bit I can pull back. Yeah. So at the beginning, it requires a lot of your personal time before you can sit back and relax. Awesome. And also, since we're talking about the age group, I feel like now is the time. Right now, I have the energy to do three, four things together. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, which which will be different in the few coming years. In a couple of years, I will I will not have as much energy as I do. So, so it's better to do it now. Now I can do everything and still be okay. Absolutely. So just start. I think is the best thing I could say. You've shared some really amazing, um, you know, um, advice to our listeners. What would you like to be? Or how would you like people to know you or to remember you? I know you use the term the organic queen, but you know, really, how do you want what do you want people to know about you as a person? Okay, that's a very difficult question. <laughs> I ask difficult questions. <laughs> that's that's a very difficult question. But but for now, um Okay, for now. Okay. Like like in South Sudan. With, uh, I'm going to speak because of the journey that I'm currently at. Yeah. Uh, in South Sudan, I know that, that there's a lot of people that have done shea butter before, mm-hmm. but they haven't put it in the global space or in the global market. I also know that there's a lot of companies that have bought shea butter from South Sudan but rebranded, so still there's no... Um, there's no indication of, of the state of origin. And that's precisely why I'm very keen on, 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 on my brand, because I want the brand to reflect where the work, where the, 
products came from. Yeah. Give, give uh, you know, to, to legally recognize the hard work and, and, and the, the natural resources that, that, that South Sudan has. So mm -hmm. I'd like to be one of the people that, that actually um, uh, did a change, had a different perspective put out there, brought a better and positive narrative about South Sudan. That's amazing. In the long run, because we don't just want to do organic skincare. We, we're looking at doing a number of things, but still in the organic uh, range. We want to completely change to an organic lifestyle. I'm going to put this question a bit differently. Mm -hmm. Fast forward 10 years from now, how would you like people to see you? So if someone says, okay, I mean, they've been doing this journey in, you know, now and fast forward 10 years into the future. Um, I'm sure you're going to be doing great things. What is that thing? I see something, but I just want you to say it. I don't know. What There's something I'm saying about you having an influence in South Sudan where you're at, because listen, I, I can feel the energy. So I'm trying to get an insight into the, what that is. That's a sneak peek for me, you know. <laughs> Maybe the, the the thing I can think about when you ask that question, because like my head is jumbled and in all those things thinking. But I would like to, to think that I was one I was that woman that put myself out there by trying to empower myself. I dragged the other women along with me. Yeah. And, and and help them change because I think that just because I've done it, somebody else is also going to do the same. So I would like to be remembered like that. Do you see yourself in government? No. <laughs> Absolutely I love, not. I love that answer. <laughs> Absolutely not. Do you see yourself working with NGOs? No. Why? Honestly, I don't see myself working. If you no, say no, I don't, I don't mean working with them or working for them. I mean, maybe in some kind of partnership or something like to promote. Yes, we can do a partnership, but on my terms. Okay. Yes, because um, yeah, there's something that, that doesn't sit right with me with an outsider giving me rules on how to leave my, on how to govern my house. Absolutely. Because, because you do not know uh, what goes on in my house. I'm the best person to come up with the solutions on the problems that I, to the problems that I have. Yeah. Uh, like you're in the UK, you cannot understand what's going on in my office right now. Absolutely don't know what's going on there. <laughs> yes, you cannot know what's going on in my office. So you cannot hearing. be the one to come up with the solutions for the issues that I am going through. Mm -hmm. And so uh, what what can how you can help is I tell you that I don't have a computer. My computer is not working well. Uh, it's blinking or it's something. And then you mm -hmm. can help me come up with a solution for that. Okay. And when it doesn't sit right, I, I also tell you that. So I don't know about the whole work for the NGOs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, that's you know it, it's been uh, yeah it's I find I find you know getting to know you and what you do and how you are changing lives and influencing people through what you do I think it's phenomenal knowing that you're doing that you're also uh, also working with someone else as well you know it's 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 really it's amazing now just to wrap things up. Share three things with our listeners that will help them in their respective journeys, whether it's a professional one, a personal one, or a business one. Um, the three things. One is about your person, you as an individual. Uh, 
first, for you to be able to get anywhere, you need to know that you need to take care of yourself. Uh, this means sometimes ignoring uh, everything that, you know, everything going on around you to make sure that you are okay. Because when you're okay, you're able to make decisions and you're able to move yourself to places that you would not if you were not mentally or emotionally okay. Yeah. Um, uh, professionally and, yeah, professionally, which would be also individually, I, I, I think sometimes it requires you to get out of your comfort zone. And change can be tough. But it's it's necessary to be able to move further in life. So um, make sure whatever you're doing is something that is fulfilling to you, but also able to make a difference in some other in in somebody else's life. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that's pretty much it. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And this is my own question. Uh, everything I've asked was not for me; it was for the listeners. But this last one is mine. Okay. And this is what I call the superhero question. Mm -hmm. I always ask this at the end of every question, every, every, every podcast. And out of all the superheroes, you know, fictional, non-fictional, real person, someone who's alive, someone who's dead, which one of them would you say you have something in common with? What is it and how have they influenced you? Out of all the superheroes, it's a very difficult one. <laughs> um, fictional, non-fictional, you know, it could be a character, it could be a real person, someone living, someone who's not living anymore. Okay, well, when you say that, what comes to my mind is, it's like a quote by Nelson Mandela. Great. Um, okay, there's a personal reason as to why this quote stuck with me. Okay. Uh, and which is, I, I basically just gave an example uh, when we spoke about uh, whether I could want to work with an NGO or not. Uh, Mandela said this in an interview when he was asked about Gaddafi. I, I'm not sure if you remember the interview, but there was an interview where oh. he was asked about why he was still supporting and being friends with Gaddafi when the West had clearly, uh, you know, put uh, whatever, um, when the West had a problem with I think I know Gaddafi. this interview you're talking about, but I can't remember the quotes. You know the quotes. Yeah. And, and he said, the mistake that they make is that just because you think you they have a problem with him, that we should have a problem. Anyway, yes. Yeah, I think that's that's the one thing that uh, resonated with me, uh, and and that's why why is that? Because I know that um, a simple thing is is uh, you know the scramble for Africa with the West and the East. Yes. And and and. There's, there's a personal attachment that I have to this because uh, there's things like sanctions that, that are being imposed on South Sudan uh, simply because you've traded with the West or with the East and you've not traded with the West. Or, are those sanctions know? still on now? Yes, they're still on. I think this is one that was just renewed. And and I feel like the mistake that that, that uh, they have uh, is, that, is that they want us to, just because you feel a type of way about an issue, you expect everybody to reason that way. And when they don't reason that way, they're the enemy or they're in the wrong. And uh, I feel like that's very wrong because they don't much give, they don't give people much of a choice 
even if they say they have things like freedom of speech or or human rights because because i feel like there's no human right there if you're forcing people to do things that just make you happy you know what that is the most powerful answer to a superhero question ever on this podcast and i think that is so true and real today um and that's what's happening in the world now um i'm gonna bring in this we know what's going on in russia right yeah. now yeah um everyone is jumping on the bandwagon of the west mm-hmm. yeah but no one is listening to the other side we all want to be made or we are being driven to the enemies of i have a friend who's russian you know and she's been on my podcast so there are two sides to every story and you don't expect me to just take what you say without doing my own research that would be stupid of me and the question i ask is the whole world stupid right now to just not think for themselves you know, so that is such a powerful quote that Mandela, you know, um, they lived there. And it's not just a quote, it's a, it's a fact of life, it's a fact of what's gone on, you know, um, back then and what's still happening in the world today. So thank you for sharing that. We are individuals and we should be able to think for ourselves. Yes. Thank you for coming on the show to share your amazing experience to share share not just your experience, some of the values, some of the insights, the education on South Sudan I got from you this morning. (laughs) I I think that was the highlight of the podcast. That was a highlight. Oh, my goodness. I need to know more. I need to learn more. And I will be visiting, I promise. I do, you know, owe it to myself to visit parts of Africa that I've never been to before. So... South Sudan is definitely right there up. And um, yeah, you're my host. So you can, you know, we'll be talking anyway. So <laughs> just stay. <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, thank I'll, you so much for having me. It's been a privilege. And yeah, it's good talking. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for spending the time with Estella Malik on this podcast. I hope you have been inspired one way or another to take on that risk you are faced with, whether it's in your personal life or professional life, knowing that on the other side, you have a reward waiting for you if you do the work involved, just like my guest Estella is still doing today. Do you remember those three tips she shared towards the end of this podcast? Please save this episode for your use in the future. This information is valuable for everyone, especially if you want to hear from someone as inspiring as Estella to help you take those steps you've been wanting to take. Check out our new shows every week and click the follow or subscribe button to be notified when they are released. I am your host, your risk champ, Chizubele Gudo here on the School of Risk Podcast. Until next time, note this. No risk is too small or too big to take. The only limitations you have are the ones in your mind. Thank you.